Isaiah, <clears throat> Isaiah 6. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read the, the part I just referred to. I'll let you settle down, have your seats and stuff. Um, he says in verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth, and he touched my mouth with it, and said, "Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away from you, and your sin is purged." Verse eight of Isaiah six. And also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, "Whom shall I send, and whom shall go for us?" Are we together? So, Isaiah experiences this holiness of God, and he says, warn to me, and then an angel comes and touches his lips to purify him. And in the place of purification, then the mission comes, and God says, now you will go. Does that make sense? The word came, whom shall go for us? Or whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And as we're just praying that, one of the things that came to my mind is this. That until we stand in a place where we have met God, we don't have the authority to change a nation. Until we stand in a place where we've encountered the reality of God, we cannot impact this nation with nothing. I'll read you a quote. And I wrote this down this morning by A.W. Tozer. Listen to this. The churches are more prosperous today than at any time within the past several years. But the alarming thing is that our gains are mostly external and our losses are wholly internal. And since the quality of our religion slash spirituality, since, sorry, since it is the quality of our religion and spirituality that is affected by internal conditions, it may be that our supposed gains are but losses spread over a wider, wider field. <laughs> I have to read that again. That's quite deep. <laughs> I'll read it again. The churches are more prosperous than at any time within the past several years. But the alarming thing is that our gains are mostly external. And our losses are wholly internal. And since there is a quality of our religion that's affected by internal conditions, it may be that our supposed external gains are but internal losses spread over a wider field. If we gain externally and lose internally, we've in turn lost externally. Because the seraphim flying around the throne, they're not doing it because God is making them do it. They're doing it because they want to. Angels have wills. Satan is a proof of that. He rebelled. So they're doing it because they're compelled to declare the holiness of God. And because there's a burning going on inside of them. One of my favorite scriptures, uh, uh, 
in John 5.35, I think it is. Jesus said of John the Baptist, he was a burning and a shining lamp. Note that. He was a burning and a shining lamp. We know in Matthew 5 or so, Jesus said, Let your light so, so shine before men that they may see your good deeds. So we know shining lamp is a type of ministry and doing good things. But burning is a sign of what's going on on the inside that no one sees. So it is possible to do good things on the outside with a dead inside and think you're doing good because people think you're doing good. And how well you're doing with God, you're basing it on the external as opposed to the internal. It's good to come together and have a nice time and worship God and it's great and there's an explosion. But my question is, when you get with God, you and God, is there an explosion? Or is your walk with God based on Christian entertainment? Can you live out this reality in a desert with no Bible, with no Christian contemporary music in a prison cell? Can you live out the reality of a burning life? Because Paul lived it. And the New Testament church lived it. And we cannot do anything less because God is calling us to be the church who will not allow our Christianity and our spirituality to be based on external props. So if there's no guitar, if there's no keyboard, I can't worship. If there's, you know, if, if there's no words on the screen, I can't worship. Since when the, since when the worship become all about singing songs? In the Bible, when they wanted to worship, they killed something. Abraham wanted to worship. He was going to kill his son. Romans 12, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, you're supposed to die. Dying is a form of worship. Dying to self with the mindset of glorifying God is a form of worship. And these things are a reflection of internal conditions that no one sees. God is more concerned about the internal condition of your heart than your lip service to him. Because we can come together like this and say, you're holy, you're holy, you're great. But is your heart in the depths of you? Are you saying it from inside or is it just lip service? Is your heart and your body and your will and your emotions in alignment to what you're doing? And I believe the Lord is calling us to build a church who will not base spirituality on external conditions, on external things. There are a lot of big things going on in the church that don't have power. Numbers is not equivalent to power. Michael Jackson can fill a stadium. That does not mean there's power in that. And I don't care how nice the music sounds. If it's not rooted in the revelation of the holiness of God and the reality of who God is, it lacks power. Today in the church, we have the music. We have the dances. We have everything. In the New Testament, they had nothing. They did more with less. We're doing less with more. I think we've lost something. We've lost the revelation of the reality of who this God is. This God is not just a God who we can say, oh yeah, God, you're my body. Yes, that's true. But he's also a fearful God. He's also a holy God. And we need the fear of the Lord to come back into the church. Because I tell you what, when the Lord impacts your heart, the fear of the Lord, you, you can't help but just want to honor him, want to please him. The fear of the Lord is not necessarily just the fear of God, you know, like God's going to knock you on the head. The fear of the Lord is a, is, is a revelation of the reality that God sees everything, both good and bad, and it matters to him. In other words, the internal conditions of your heart matters to God. Forget about the raising of the hands. Forget about all the external stuff. What is going on in your heart? Does it bother you that you're doing some things on the outside and, it's not feeling, and you're not feeling on the inside? Does it bother you? Or are you just, oh, well, people think I'm cool. That's fine. Does it bother you? What did, Jesus, what did God say of, of David? He was a man after my own heart. Because David was after God's heart, God was 
pleased with David's own heart. David was seeking something deep in God. And I believe that was a revelation of his, his walk with God. And you know what? I am more concerned about remaining burning for God. I am concerned about the state of the church in the place of burning. Because I feel like we've allowed external things to replace the place of burning. We won't allow good music and entertainment to replace the place of burning. But are we going to be like John the Baptist who says, I am going to burn for God even if no one sees me. In the quiet place, in the secret place, I am going to live my life burning for you, God. Because until we stand in that place where we burn for God and we meet him, it's that process that God uses to make us a voice that would impact a nation. You know, John the Baptist was a voice that impacted the nation. But what gave him authority to be the voice was lifestyle. He was not just preaching a message. His life was the message. And your life is the message. God is calling us to a level of holiness. He's saying, I want your desires to be, to be, to be, to be refined with me. I want, I want your heart to be refined with me. You know, what we have today as normal Christianity is abnormal Christianity. In comparison to the New Testament, you tell people today you pray two hours, three hours, four hours, and like, they think you're, you're super Christian. That was normal in the Bible. If you can spend two hours on Facebook... And you can't spend two hours in the presence of God. It tells me there's something wrong. I'm serious. If you can spend five hours watching TV. And you can't spend five minutes thinking about God. And even spending time. There's something wrong. And we come to church and we sing the songs. And our hearts are not connected with him. I'm serious. God wants to lay hold of our hearts. Like never before. Because when he lays hold of our hearts. You know what? We become extreme Christians in our devotion. And it becomes normal. You see, Christianity is hard unless you've fallen in love with God. Because many people are trying to fulfill the great commission without falling in love with the man of the mission. And it's leading to frustration. Fall in love and let it capture your heart. Then you know that you want to spend two, three hours in the presence of God. And it means nothing to you because you're hungry for the reality of experiencing him. And I believe many of us have other things in the place of God in our lives as opposed to God. Because God is not necessarily a term of divinity. It's just something that's in an exalted position in your life. So all I need to do is look at what you spend your time with. God is what you spend your time with. What do you spend most of your time with? Does it bother you that it's not captivating your heart as you want it to? Now, I'm not standing here saying I've arrived, but I know when I am not burning like I want to. And it bothers me. And I wonder, does it not bother anyone when you feel, when you don't feel the fire of God in your heart? No, I know there is nothing that compares to the fire of God on your heart. I can tell you this, there is nothing in the world that compares to it. When you can feel it and get into the presence of God and your heart is burning, I tell you what, you want to remain there forever. And if you've never tasted it, it's a time to taste it today. The Lord is inviting you to taste of this burning heart. In Matthew 5, we read about the Beatitudes. Okay, and I think there are about nine, eight or nine Beatitudes. And I was just reading this this morning. And the first, I think that the four, let's turn there, actually, Matthew 5. The Beatitudes are like foundation for kingdom life. 
The foundations our faith is built on. These are in red letters. They carry a lot of weight. Do you know not all truth is equal? Some truth carry more weight than other truths. That's not to say it's not true. It just means it carries more weight. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you've done all these good things, but you've, neg- you've, de- you've neglected the weightier matters. There's some truths that carry weight. And I believe the Sermon on the Mount carries weight. And the Lord is calling us in the church to the lifestyle of the Sermon on the Mount. And I'll link this to the burning life because the first few Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the dead in the morn, blessed are the meek, Blessed are the, I'm just reading the, the, the blessings as opposed to the rewards. Just bear with me. Blessed are the, are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger. Okay? And then the, uh, the, the one after that is blessed are the merciful. Okay? Uh, and then blessed are the pure in heart. Okay? And then blessed are the peacemakers. And then blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And then verse 11. Blessed are those who, when they... Uh, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you. Okay, so kind of like similar to the, to the previous one, blessed are persecuted. I've counted six things that deal with internal conditions. Listen to this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's an internal condition. Blessed are they that mourn. That's an internal condition. Blessed are the meek. That's an internal condition. Blessed are those who hunger. That's an internal condition. Blessed are the pure in heart. That's an internal condition of the heart. Two of the Beatitudes has to do with what we do to people. The other two has to do with what people do to us. Six has to do with what's going on inside of us. And then the verses afterwards, Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. What makes a salt a salt is not the external things you see. It's the internal conditions of it. The structure, the, the chemical structure. That's what makes it salt. What is going on inside? And God is saying, I am more concerned about what is going on inside you than what you're doing on the outside. It's a time to begin to say, Lord, I am tired of lukewarm Christianity. God is calling us to be extravagant in our devotion to him. It's time for that. It says of John the Baptist that he was one who pursued after God violently. The Bible says, you know, and there's the verse in Matthew, uh, Matthew 11 where it talks about the kingdom of God surfers violence and the violent take it by force. Now, I believe the definition of violence is not physical violence, it's spiritual violence. And my definition of that is this. That spiritual violence is a decision you make not to settle for anything less than God's best in the area of intimacy with Him. Yeah. That you're going to have God's best. Some people think because you prayed a prayer, that's all there is to it. I'll tell you what, praying a prayer and becoming a Christian and surrendering your life to God is just stepping into the door of the endless possibilities that are in God. How can we settle for this when there's so much more we can have? How can we set up for this one? We can walk face to face with God like Moses did. Why can we just, am I making any sense? There's a reality that we've got to go after. There's a hunger that's going to be stirred up on the inside of us. And God is saying, I am concerned about the internal conditions of your heart. I repeat the statement I said earlier on again. If we gain externally and lose internally, we have in turn lost externally. Let's value the internal conditions of our heart. The first beatitude says, blessed are they who are poor in spirit. It's a blessing to realize your spiritual poverty. It's a blessing for you to know that you need God. Because most times you can relate to this. You want to pray. You get into your room. Okay, God, I want to pray now. Obviously, you're like, okay, I think I need to get some food. 
Okay, you get some food. She said, okay, God, I want to pray. Oh, maybe I just check my Facebook quickly. You know, okay, okay, I'm going to pray now. Oh, there's a program coming on TV. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've got to watch that. And before you know you're tired, oh, God, I'm sorry I couldn't pray today, tomorrow. <laughs> Can anyone relate to that? When you decide you want to pray and seek God, you're confronted with your spiritual poverty. And you have a choice. You can say, oh, my goodness, I really don't feel like praying. That's your flesh you're feeling. You could either say, you know what, this thing is hard. I can't be bothered. Forget it. Or you could look at it the other way around and say, the fact that I am finding this hard on my flesh is showing me how much I actually need God. So as opposed to it becoming something that's drawing me away from God, it should be drawing me to God to say, God, I do not feel you. I'm not connecting. I really need you. Because the internal connection with God is what, it changes us. I mean, think about this. Is the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. Three things, righteousness, peace, and joy. Two-thirds of the kingdom affect your emotions. Peace and joy. It's concerned about the state of your emotion. If I'm not connecting with God in my emotions, I say, God, change my emotions. It's, a, it's, a, it's an awesome thing for you to feel the emotions of heaven. It's an awesome thing for you to feel how God feels. It's an awesome thing. But I tell you what, it's a terrible thing to begin to feel the evil emotions of the sinful flesh. It's an awful, awful thing. And you know what it's like. And I tell you what, any day I choose the emotions of heaven. But when I'm confronted with the state of my flesh and my spiritual poverty, as opposed to looking to external things and calling my friends and kind of trying to cover up my poverty, my spiritual poverty, I'm going to run towards God and say, God, I need you. I am poor in spirit. We are poor in spirit. That's why we're not having the impact we're meant to have. And God is saying that it's a blessing for you to actually see it. Because most people are blinded by it. And even prosperity. You think, you know, because God blessing you material things, that means that's all good. God is spiritual. How can you just reduce him to material blessings? God loves you does not equal presence. God loves you equals presence. I'm serious. God blessing you material things, that's great. But the reality is the material things will fade away. Because heaven sent people on the earth not to extract materialism of the earth. Heaven sent people on the earth to display a glory that cannot be found in the things of the earth. And there's no way we can display that glory without first encountering ourselves. We cannot, we're not going to impact this generation if it does not start with a burning life. Think about the, the story of, um, not the story, the, the letter in Revelations, where God talks about the, the lukewarm church. He says, you're, ne- you're neither hot nor cold. You're, you're neither hot nor cold. And he goes to say, because you say I am rich and I'm wealthy and I have need of nothing. Again, I believe that's a picture of the church. Because using external things to judge spiritual things. And you know, if you're in any form of blessing, it's very easy to begin to just judge your spirituality by that. There's a temptation to do that. But the Lord is calling us back to that place because he wants to replace the burning hearts. And he wants our devotion to be holy for him. No other lover no other person, nothing else would take the place of a burning life for God. John the Baptist is such a picture, I believe, of what the Lord wants to do in our generation. Because by his inheritance or his connections, he could have been the priest in the church. He could have been doing church stuff. But he felt the calling of God to go into the desert. Yes. 
from probably about the age of 11 till he was about 30 or so. In the desert, doing what? Praying and fasting and seeking the face of God. You know, though, he gave, us, he gave up earthly pleasures for spiritual pleasures. Because he realized the value in spiritual pleasures. You know, the spiritual realm is more real than the natural realm. And our eyes are blind to the blessings in that realm. And the Lord wants us to begin to encounter that. It's only when we begin to encounter this as a reality, not theology. We've got enough theology that's not become reality. It has to become something we're living in. Until that becomes a reality in our lives, we cannot have the impact we're meant to have. And remember the quote I read earlier on about A.W. Tozer, that we're having external gains in the church while we're having internal losses. And it could be that our external gains, uh, but internal losses spread over a wider field. Now, this is my concern, that many people are coming to the church and they're getting saved in a lukewarm environment. So because they get saved in a lukewarm environment, they reproduce lukewarmness, and they think that is the norm. So we keep, we keep giving birth to lukewarm Christians and lukewarm Christians and think we're doing good. No, meanwhile, hearts are just dull and living in sin and complacency and caught up in the things of the world. How can we change the world when the world is in us? When the world is, 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 is one our hearts. Jesus said, the God of this age came and found nothing in me. The reason why Jesus had authority over the world was because the world had no authority over him. Listen to this. A boat will continue to remain on water as long as the water does not get into the boat. When the water begins again, the boat, the boat loses its authority to be on the water. And many of us in the church are trying to go out there claiming authority and doing these things, whereas the world is in us and has captivated our hearts. You cannot bind what binds you. You cannot have authority of an enemy you've just been sleeping with. And I believe the church is saturated with so much compromise. The Lord is saying, I am calling you to my heart to experience my love and to begin to see that there's no other lover, there's no other pleasure that compares to experiencing my heart. But will you come in? Would you press past the flesh? Would you press past the resistance you feel when you want to pray and you, want to, and you feel like your flesh wants to watch Facebook or your flesh wants to watch TV or whatever? Would you press past that? Because listen to this. Resistance in prayer is not denial. Resistance to breakthrough in prayer is an invitation from God for greater seeking. Remember the woman that came to Jesus and, uh, and asked for healing. And Jesus said he wasn't going to give the, the food of the whatever to the dogs. He called her a dog, basically. And she worshipped him. And she kept seeking. She came to ask God for something. She encountered resistance. Most of us say, okay, resistance. I guess God doesn't want to do it. I can't be bothered. Facebook or TV or whatever it is you're into. Call my friends, you know. Cinema, whatever. You know, she pressed in even more. Her pressing in was a sign of her faith because Jesus said no greater faith. Remember that? Says she had great faith. So the fact that she pressed in was because she knew. Hebrews, he says, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. When you say, God, I am going to be a man after your heart. God, I am going to seek your face. Even if no one sees me, I'm going to give myself to this lifestyle. God rewards that. You might not necessarily see the reward instantly. But I'll tell you what, you're storing up for yourself things in the heavens that you have no idea about. And the Lord is saying, would you value that more than all these natural things? The verse after that, blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn. I believe a revelation of your spiritual poverty leads you to mourning. 
A revelation of how poor you are in spirit leads you to a place where you just want God. And you realize, God, I believe that, that's part of what Isaiah experienced when he said, woe unto me. There was a mourning. He saw how unholy he was, and all he could do was just mourn. And there's a place for mourning in the church. I, I tell you that. There's a, yeah, there's a place for being joyful, but there's a place for actually mourning. And saying, God, I don't like the condition of my heart. God, come and impact me. Come and change me. I mean, a real godly mourning, not ungodly mourning. A godly mourning that leads to the next verse. Blessed are those. Actually, the, the next couple of ones down. Because that leads to humility, meekness. Then the verse I'm going to is verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. I believe the revelation of my poverty leads to my mourning. It leads to real humility in me before God. And it creates a hunger in me for God. It creates a hunger in me for God. My question is, how hungry are we for God? Because I believe God is obligated to respond where he finds legitimate, fervent, and consistent hunger. How hungry are we? Do we just sing it? Or has it become reality? I remember there was a time where I said, Lord, I just don't want to say I'm hungry. I want to live it. We're saying, God, I want more of you. But God is saying, I want more of you. How can we have more of God if we don't give him more of us? He wants to fill us, but we've got to create room for him. And it's a time where God is calling us to a place of burning desire for him. I believe that was the word of the Lord. Even as we sang that song, I didn't plan to say everything I said, but I feel like the Lord is really hammering in on this point. Are you going to burn for me? Are you going to forsake the place of lukewarm Christianity? And are you going to be hot for me? And if you remember, I'm not going to turn there now. If you remember in Revelations, um, actually, you know what? I'm going to turn there. <laughs> Revelation 3. Revelations 3. Um, uh, from verse, uh, let's see. From verse 15. Okay. I know your works that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Well, that's pretty intense. Verse 17, because you say, again, I kind of make this point earlier. You, you're lukewarm. The church, God is saying to the church, you're lukewarm because you say, I am rich. You say, I become wealthy. And you say, I have need of nothing, external things. And do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. See, a revelation of all what Jesus just said that will bring about the Beatitudes I just read. Poor in spirit, you realize that? Your meekness, you know, you humble yourself before God, you know, and release to righteousness. I, I missed something out there. But I believe a revelation of those words Jesus spoke to the church here would bring you to a place of actually living out those Beatitudes we just read out. Verse 18 says, I counsel of you, buy from me gold refined in fire, that you may be rich. Think about that. God is saying the solution to your lukewarmness is buy from me. Let there be a divine exchange. Give me your stuff. And I'll give you my stuff. <laughs> the Lord wants us to buy from him today. But he's not going to force himself on you. He's just saying, you know what? 
If you give it to me, I'm actually, I'm going to come in. I'm, I'm not going to force myself on you. And also, I believe in saying that, there's a dimension of that that I believe there's a price to pay in the flesh. And many times, when God calls us to new levels of walking with him, it's hard on our flesh. But you've got to understand, God has our best interest at heart. Even when it's the hardest on the flesh, he has your best interest at heart. Because he knows the very flesh that you want to give into is the flesh that will destroy you. That's why he said, pick up your cross and follow me. Have you ever thought about this? Where are you following him to with your cross? I think you're following him to Calvary, to die. To die to yourself. And that's why he said to Peter, when he rose from the dead, he says, follow me. And he, then the Bible says, this was talking, then goes on to say a few things and explains. This is referring to how Peter was going to glorify Jesus in his death. Peter ended up dying on the cross. Listen, Jesus dying on the cross was not just to take away our sins and, you know, and forgive us and, and all that. That's true and that's great. I believe Jesus dying on the cross is also showing us how we can die on the cross too. Take up your cross and follow me and die to self. Because self is going to be a hindrance to experiencing, experiencing the revelations and divine things of heaven. We have to die to our flesh. It's a process. And you have to make up your mind, Lord, I want to die to this flesh. And think about what it says in Romans 12. A living sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Your flesh is the sacrifice. How can a sacrifice be living? Well, maybe it keeps coming up again after you kill it. <laughs> You kill it, it comes up again. You kill it. Didn't Paul say, I die to the flesh daily? It's a process and it glorifies God. Denying ourselves glorifies God in the context of what God is speaking to you to do. You know, it's all about obedience. It's not just about sacrifice. You can sacrifice things and, you know, you're not living obedience. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the things God's challenging you in your life. You know you need to lay down. It's not because God hates you. It's because he wants you to experience divine pleasures. And it's an invitation. And, and this verse says, buy of me gold refined in fire. Gold refined in fire. I don't know if you remember in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the categories of good and bad works. You know, I believe it's good to live our lives with a view of eternity. We're all going to stand before Jesus and he's going to judge our works for him on this earth by fire. And Paul said there are three categories of good works, gold, silver, and precious stones. And they're categories of bad works, wood, hay, and stubble. So the things we do for God, they have quality in the eyes of God. And in the same verse in 1 Corinthians, it talks about, you know, that our, war, our works will be tested for what quality they are, not what quantity they are. Again, external things. Because we can think, because things are big, it has quality. In the eyes of heaven, does it have quality? Now, it says, buy of me gold refining fire. That's why I'm connecting it to what Paul says. I believe the gold is a picture of our devotional lives. No man is greater than their prayer life. I don't care about how gifted they are. 
I don't care about the organizational skills or whatever. No man in the eyes of God is greater than their prayer life. Because the prayer life is what nobody sees, your devotional life. I'll tell you what, God values that more than we realize. What's the first commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It deals with internal condition of the heart. It's returning to the place of the first love. It's a burning desire. God is jealous about that more than we realize. And then the, the next commandment that, that's like an unseen is the external things. What you do. God says the first and the greatest is the internal condition. Your love, your emotion, your heart. Being wholly devoted to me. And then what follows next is what you do. In the church, we reversed it. We put what we do as first and our hearts as second. God is saying, your heart is first. And I believe the gold is a picture of our devotional life. Now, think about this. I give you 10,000 pounds. You go and buy 10,000 pounds worth of gold. It's probably not going to be a lot. I give another person 10,000 pounds. They go and buy 10,000 pounds worth of wood. It's probably going to be a lot of stuff. When the fire goes through it, what happens? The gold only changes from liquid, from solid to liquid. What happens to the wood? It burns into ashes. Think about this. Wood comes from trees. Trees are visible on the surface. Gold is underneath. It's not seen. The gold is a picture of the things that goes on in our lives that actually I believe God is more pleased with and God is more concerned about that nobody sees. And we have valued the trees and the external thing. And God is saying, you can pour your effort into that, but you don't realize I am looking for the gold, the devotional place, the burning place, the prayer life that's fervent. Am I making any sense? The Lord is calling us to the burning place. The Lord is calling us to be the church that will burn for God with all our hearts, soul, mind, and strength. It's okay to be extreme for God. Look at the Muslims. They're extreme for a God that we, we believe is not the real God. I don't know. I depending on your theology. I believe God is calling us to be a burning church. I think I've said this before that sometimes I have pro- I have a problem. Now I will pray for the persecuted church, but I have a problem with this. I'm praying for God to deliver people from persecution. When I, myself, I'm actually living a life that I'm actually ready to die for what I believe in. And I'm asking God to help the people that are dying for what they believe in. I, does that make any sense? I, I, I want to be in a place where I'm ready to die for this faith that's so real to me and burning in me. You know, like even, even the, the, the forefathers of this nation that were persecuted for what they believed in and burnt at the stake. And I'm ready to die for what I believe in and say, God, I don't care what anyone says. This has to burn in me. This is burning me. It's more real than any external thing. Lord, I want to be extreme for you. I want to invite you today to be extreme lover of Jesus, to be an extreme lover of Jesus, to be an extreme worshiper, to be one that gives God everything. I'm going to round up in a couple of minutes. Now, I have a problem with also, I'm just sharing all my problems now. I have a problem with, how, I do, I do, I have a problem with this. People that would go to football matches and go crazy when Manchester United scores. But they come into the church and they act frozen. How can you jump around for Manchester United that has not saved you? And will not save you? And will not pay your bills? And will not come to you when you're in trouble. And yet the God that saved you and washed your sins away and healed you, you can even praise him. I have a problem with that. 
I have a problem with that. I do. And then you look at people doing that, and they oh, yeah, they're just crazy. No, they're not crazy. You know, you cannot serve God above your revelation of Him. The reason why some people jump around, now, some people do it because they just want to show off. But some people do it because they have a revelation of what God has done for them. And they cannot help but just jump around and praise God. And maybe the reason why you're not doing, you're not praising, I'm not saying everyone has to jump around. Don't get me wrong. Some people don't jump around. That's fine. I'm saying you have to be real in your worship. And maybe the reason why you're not real and authentic in your worship is because you don't have a revelation of what God has done for you. And it's not impacted your heart. When I think about what God has done for me, I can't help but say, Lord, Lord, how could, I mean, where would I be without you? Why do I want to give you a half-hearted worship? Why do I want to give you a half-hearted lifestyle? Many people leave Christianity like it's almost like something in their backpack. Oh yeah, I'm saved. That's one thing done. So I can just carry on and do the rest of the things I want to do. That's not what this is about. This is a, it's an invitation to actually God taking over your life. It's not just a religious activity. It's not just something we do when we tick off the list. Like, oh yeah, that's done. I went to church. We sang two slow songs, two fast songs. Okay, two hours and I'm ready to go out. You know? Or whatever it is. I mean, how can we narrow church down? How can we narrow spirituality down to two hours on a Sunday morning? Tell me if you grow in a relationship with your wife or husband or whoever is close to you, if you spend two hours with them every week, how is that going to go anywhere? And how can we go deep in our walk with God when all we do is we ask Him for things when we're in His presence? God, I want, 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 God. Listen, if you have a friend and all they did was, I want, I want, how would you, that, does that make any sense? There are deep things of God that God is calling us to begin to seek for. That's beyond the material things. Now, that's not to say the material things are bad or it's wrong to seek them. But our prayer lives and our work with God cannot just be based on material things. God is calling us to the internal burning place. I'll finish with this statement. I said it and I'll say it again. Heaven sent people on the earth to display a glory that cannot be found in the things of the earth. Heaven-sent people are not on the earth to extract materialism of the earth. That's not why we're here. We're here to display the glory of God. And we have to encounter it. And we have to have a hunger for it. You have to have a hunger for it. And I have to have a hunger for it. Because it's not going to come if I'm just kind of, you know, whatever. Just, you know, whatever will be, will be. I can't be bothered. You know, God, God just do whatever you want to do. No, I have got to cry out for it. And he's gonna, what does he say? Draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. There's an equal, there's a, there's a responsibility we have in this process. So we're going to pray. I want you to stand with me. I'm going to make a couple of uh, calls for people to come forward. And... Um, I believe the Lord is dealing with our hearts. The Lord is dealing with my heart. What the Lord has been saying to me more than, I mean, in the last few weeks, in fact, is, is just challenging me to a place I've never, well, you know, there's sometimes I look at my life and I say, God, I've backslidden. I'm not as far forward as I used to be. And I'm longing to burn again like I used to burn. I'm longing to spend my time with you like I used to. I was in your presence and I don't care who calls me or whatever. And I'm just lost in your presence because my heart is just longing for something beyond this realm. I want to touch the heart of God. I just don't want a material blessing. I just don't want a ministry. I want to encounter the reality of God. 
And I believe the Lord is saying he wants to call us back to that place. Because until that becomes our primary focus, we don't have the authority to change this nation, people. We don't have it. God is going to release it to us in that secret place. So I want you to just close your eyes and just focus on the Lord and talk to him. Whatever you feel is spoken to you and what I've said, talk to the Lord. Ah. Holy Spirit, I invite you. I know you're here already, Holy Spirit. But just continue to do a deeper work in each heart here. Make us burning ones. Like the seraphim that fly around your throne declaring your holiness. Make us burning ones. Now I want to invite you to come forward. If you want to respond to what I've said in any way, whatever level it's at, if it's just the burning hearts you want to receive, if it's just dying to flesh things you need to lay down, if it's just getting free from addictions that are holding you back, whatever it is, if you want to respond to this, I want to encourage you to come forward right now and just kneel here and just begin to cry out to the Lord with your own words. Just say, God, I want you to do this work in me. As I said, it starts with you calling out to Him. Come on, people. Pray, pray. If you're not responding, I want you to pray. If you are, just move forward as quickly as you can. As a sign of saying, God, I want you to do this work in me. Let it be deep. Let it be real. Let it be deep like never before. I don't want to be a superficial Christian. I don't want to be a Christian that's just struggling and just trying to get along. Father, I want to live the realities of what I read in Scripture. I want it to be real in my daily life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bye, 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 bye. Come on, come on, don't be quiet. This is not time to be quiet. You call out to the Lord yourself. Don't wait for music. Don't wait for anyone. Call out to the Lord and say, Father, do this work in me. Do this work. I've got to be a burning one. I've got to burn for you, Lord. I cannot afford to be settling for material things. I've got to burn for you, Lord, with a holy fervency. to the Lord. Forget about the people around you. He's here to meet you. He's here to meet you. The fire of the Lord is here to meet you. He's going to burn away the flesh and the chaff and put in your burning flame like never before.
the ministry team, if you're on the ministry team, I want you just to come around and begin to pray for people. Guys, just begin to call out to the Lord where you are. Don't stop. Don't stop.